Hello everyone and welcome to episode 578 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, the world's leading centre for writing courses, and I'm your host. What have you been up to this week? I have been attempting to do some Christmas shopping. Unsurprisingly, I've bought a lot of books, especially for the young people in my life. I'm not entirely sure how much they appreciate this as, you know, they probably prefer like an Xbox or something, but I'm very passionate about fostering a love of reading in young people, you know, reading actual books, printed books, because I think it's such an important foundation to have in life, not just a love of books, but It also fosters a love of learning, the skill of comprehension, the skill of communication. I mean, I know I'm forever grateful that my parents encouraged that in me when I was younger. And I honestly can't imagine what my life would have been like without this incredible foundation. Um, I realize now that, and I'm not even sure whether this was intentional or just a fluke, but my dad would say that he would pick me up at the library after school. And of course, that meant I had to go to the library every day and amuse myself until he turned up. So I was kind of just naturally surrounded by books. And that was such an important part of my formative years. Anyhow, sorry, back to Chris. Christmas shopping. I have been yeah busy buying books. Um, I do wish my family would do Secret Santa for the adults because it's really quite unwieldy and time consuming to get, you know, so many prezzies. But anyway, um, I still have a long way to go with my Christmas shopping, but I'm pretty proud of myself that I've actually gotten started because last year I did all my Christmas shopping on Christmas Eve and that's extremely stressful. Um, but anyway, I hope you're doing well preparing for the silly season. And let's welcome back Nat Newman, who, of course, is always at the ready with one of her writing tips. But what have you been up to, Nat? What's happening in Nat World this week? Oh, um, well, I've got my final couple of performances this week. Yay! Oh, for your play. Oh, my yes. God. Amazing. Yeah, it's um, it's been a lot of fun, um, as it always is. But, you know, you also get – it's quite tiring. So I'm looking forward to wrapping the season, which will be really nice. Do you have, like, a wrap party? Does someone at the end say, it's a wrap? and the 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 bars open and tabs on me <laughs> um not so much for um sort of amateur local theater but um but yeah definitely um on the film that um I made we had when we wrapped the final scene we just went ballistic which was a bit of a shame because it was like one o'clock in the morning um <laughs> and we we're like yeah it's a wrap and, and then we had to pack everything up and and get everybody home so oh so you didn't be- have a party Oh my God, no. It's hard to be excited when it's, you know, one o'clock in the morning, you've been shooting for 16 hours and and <laughs> and you've still got to get, I mean, all that equipment, there's so much equipment, you've got to get it all home, but yeah. Yeah, right. Okay. Um. Mm. So yeah, the, so will you be celebrating? Absolutely. Yes, Yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah. So we wrap on Saturday and then, yeah, I think we'll be having, I think we'll be having a few drinks to to celebrate. Right. All yeah. right, fun. Um, all right, so... Uh, What's your writing tip this week? Oh, quotation marks, Valerie. What? No, okay, quotation I marks. Know. Yes. I know, right? So mm-hmm. um, one of the things I do, I mean, as you know, creative writing stage one is not a grammar and punctuation course, but I do like to always make sure that um, students know how to punctuate dialogue correctly because mm, it's just one yeah. of those things that is a handy skill to have. Um, and once you know it, as I always tell my students, once you know it, you know it forever. It's not like something you have mm. to keep learning. You know, it's like learning to drive. You know, you don't. Once you finish reading the handbook, you put it on the shelf, you never read it again. (laughs) And I think punctuating dialogue's the same. Um, But I had a student who had just finished reading Conversations with Friends by Sally Rooney, who Uh also wrote um, Normal People. 
Yep, and yep, yep. in conversations with friends, Sally Rooney doesn't use any quotation marks uh, for the dialogue. Mm. Um, so, yeah, now obviously that's a technique that Sally Rooney has chosen to use. And as the student said, it, it, it was it was really hard to get used to, but she did eventually get used to it and, and you do get into the flow of it. Um, so I guess my tip for this is, um, whilst I do agree that writers should experiment and play with the form, but first of all, you've really got to know the rules first. You can't just go around absolutely rules until you know the rules. And the, th- the thing about someone like Sally Rooney, she's a very confident writer. Mm. She knows exactly what she's doing. If she's breaking a rule, she's doing it very deliberately and she's doing it for a reason. So I think for most writers, you know, those of us who are mere mortals, um, <laughs> we... <laughs> which is, you know, 99% of writers, we should mostly stick to the rules, you know, stick to the the rules, particularly of, of um, dialogue punctuation. It just makes life easier for your reader and it makes life easier for mm. you and your editor and just everybody involved in in the process. Uh, if you're, um, once you're very, very confident in your voice and your style, then absolutely. And established. Means, exactly, yeah. Then you can start. Because some people can be confident even when they're early <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think that's great. I think many um uh like you know there are loads of really bold young writers who who do mm. great things with form. Um but having said that they've probably been writing for years and years and years like they're not yeah just because they're young or whatever or, or not established um or on the scene yet doesn't mean that they haven't actually really put in the hard graft. So mm. yeah. So yes, know the yes. rules before you break them I think is my my tip. That is so important, so important. I, th- I think when was that Peter Carey novel? I think it was a Peter Carey novel that had mm. absolutely no punctuation whatsoever oh, in the yeah. whole novel. <laughs> yeah. Which is, you know, challenging. Yeah. and, and uh, you, As a reader, I think. Yeah, and you do get used to it. And, like, you know, different languages punctu- punctuate dialogue completely differently. Like in Italian, they just use a dash. Um, actually, it depends, it depends which book you read but um sometimes it's just a dash and sometimes it's um inverted kind of triangle things and and switching when I'm switched to reading Italian and I'm just like oh my god what's with this dialogue here (laughs) um so it can be really it's really disorienting as a reader because you're used to things being a certain way and when when someone removes all the punctuation or changes it around or starts sentences in strange ways and yeah it's really disorienting as a reader so you've got to know you got to make sure you know what you're doing Absolutely. All right. Great tip. Thanks so much for the writing tip this week, Nat, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, Valerie. Let's move on to our competition this week. This week, I'm giving away three copies of Kill Your Husbands by Jack Heath, best-selling author of the Hangman series. You can also meet him on episodes 221 and 439 of our podcast. Here's the blurb. Three couples, friends since high school, rent a luxurious house in the mountains for an unplugged weekend of drinking and bushwalking. No internet, no phones, no stress. On the first night, the topic of partner swapping comes up. It's a joke at first. Not everyone is keen, but an agreement is made. The lights will be turned out. The three women will go into the three bedrooms. The three men will each pick a room at random. It won't be awkward later because they won't know who they've slept with or can pretend they don't. But when the lights come back on, one of the men is dead. No one will admit to being his partner. The phones still don't work and now the car key is missing. They're stranded and the killer is just getting started. Okay, well, I have three copies to give away. Kill Your Husbands by Jack Heath. Just go to writercentre.com.au slash win for your chance to enter. Entries close on the 4th of December. So that's writerscentre.com.au slash win. 
And now, are you ready for the word of the week? I hope you are because here it is. Parvenu, that's P-A-R-V-E-N-U, parvenu. What is a parvenu? A parvenu is someone who has risen above their class or to a position above their qualifications, an upstart. So you could say, with his newfound wealth, Timothy was able to move among the upper echelons of society, but he never quite fit in. They could sense the parvenu within their ranks. There you go, parvenu. And that was the word of the week. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you're serious about completing your own novel manuscript, immerse yourself in our inspiring and motivational program, Write Your Novel. Filled with workshopping and practical lessons, you'll receive advice on structure, dialogue and much more, as well as tips on publishing. The online program fits around your schedule and you'll get extensive personal feedback from your tutor and classmates throughout the course. Al Campbell's novel The Keepers was picked up by a publisher shortly after she finished her course at the Australian Writers' Centre. Here's what she says. I decided to do a course because it's affordable, it was flexible, I could do it at home. The best thing for me was that I actually had a chance to show my work to other people, not to mention the input from the tutors all of whom come from the industry. At the end of the Write Your Novel course, my tutor in fact took me by surprise by suggesting, I think her words pretty much were, it's time to get your work out there. When I found out that my novel was going to be published, it was fantastic, it was was a high, it was amazing. I would definitely recommend the Australian Writers' Centre because if you actually look at the stats, they're really kicking massive goals. Their publication rates are are really startlingly high. Find out more at writercentre.com.au slash novelwriting. That's writercentre.com.au slash novelwriting. Now let's move on to our writer-in-residence this week. Christos Cholkis's latest novel is The In-Between. He is one of Australia's most respected and well-read novelists, but is also a playwright, essayist and screenwriter. He first burst onto the scene with his novel Loaded, which was made into the feature film Head On. This was followed by books like The Jesus Man and Dead Europe, which won the Age Fiction Prize and the Melbourne Best Writing Award, as well as being made into a feature film. His fourth novel, the international bestseller The Slap, won countless awards, including being longlisted for the 2010 Man Booker Prize and winning Book of the Year by the Australian Booksellers Association and the Australian Book Industry Awards. Christos's fifth novel, Barracuda, was also shortlisted for many awards and both The Slap and Barracuda were adapted into celebrated television series. He has also published, among other books, Merciless Gods, On Patrick White, Damascus, Seven and a Half, and now The In-Between. Thank you so much for joining us today, Christos. It's an absolute pleasure, a real pleasure. I've been been very impressed by the work you do, Valerie, so thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much. Congratulations on your latest novel, The In-Between. I have so many things to talk to you about, but let's just start with this one first. For those who haven't got their hands on a copy yet, what is it about? It's about two men in their 50s, Perry, who is 53, Ivan is 55, when we've um, the, the novel first starts. And it starts with Perry getting ready for a date with Ivan. They've talked on the phone, they've met on the internet, but they have never met in person. And they are both 
wanting to trust that love can happen again and they have both come out of relationships that have really hurt them in the past so it's it's a novel about whether love is possible again in in at in the in-between age uh the other thing to know about perry is that he has spent over a decade in france before returning to to melbourne and that uh ivan is a father and a grandfather and what made you decide to <clears throat> tackle this theme or to write this particular novel? Oh, Valerie, I, was, I think because love is one of the most central experiences of our lives. And when I talk about love, it's love that includes a love for a partner. It's also love between a parent and a child, love between friends. But it's also one of the most, as you know, one of the most difficult subjects to write about. Uh, I've been talking this just the other month, I was over at Mum's and going through the garage and I found a, a stack of old notebooks, uh, including one that I, uh, all my scrolls from my early 20s, and I, I found this uh, little entry where it said, one day I hope I can write um, a good story about love, you know, so that it's been sitting there, I think, in my consciousness now for for decades, the idea. Um and what, why at this moment? I, I think in, in some ways every uh, it's sometimes the failures or mistakes or wrong paths you go down as a writer that leads you to something new. So uh, to explain that, I'd actually started writing a book about uh, families, about four siblings, who three of them who were living overseas, who come back, uh, the three of them come back for a father's 90th birthday. Uh, it was uh, it was going to be about whether we can still talk to one another, communicate with one another, even if we don't think the, the same way. Because I think that's a topic that anyone listening to this podcast understands is I think one of the vital subjects of our time, right? How do we talk to each other without shouting at each other? Yeah. Uh, to get to the chase, so to, to, to the crunch, I started writing a novel, then COVID happened. Um, it was set on the south coast of New South Wales. The fires happened just before COVID. It didn't seem the right story to tell in that framework. But something about how do we how do we talk across differences seemed really important for to, to, to find a way to express it in a, in, in a fiction form. And so that idea got abandoned, but not that sense of wanting to tell that kind of story and the in-between is the form of it settled on and and I do think I do think that I wouldn't have got here if it hadn't been the work I was doing on the the, the previous novel. So if you abandoned that story <clears throat> and you ended up writing the in-between and definitely some of those themes um, come out in this novel are you going to go back to that story in some fashion? So it's like uh, it's it's 28,000 words or so you know that so there's I don't know is the honest answer to that, Valerie. I don't. Uh, there is something I think that I do still want to pursue about family um, and how families can break apart um, when um, when people have chosen very, very different paths. So maybe I will, will return to it. But uh, as I said, my honest answer to you is I don't know. And, and it feels in a way with the in-between, between, in, in creating Perry and Ivan, and all the other characters that live around them, right? That that I think maybe I have said 
I've, I've kind of accomplished what I wanted to do. He touches wood as he said that. Just accomplished is a big word. Uh, <laughs> I hope there's a truth in the novel that anyone who reads it can respond to, that these people are really damaged. They're far from perfect. They're dealing with their, their own personal history and memories, and that that's a really tough thing. But they're also, I hope they're good people, and I hope there's real kindness there in the novel because I think we need kindness at the moment. So you talk about these characters like Perry and Ivan and, and you know, the other characters in, in, the, in the story. There's... Um, your characterization is just incredible for all of the characters. You obviously know their entire backstory, whether or not it's on the page. You know what motivates them, whether or not it's explicit on the page. That's kind of expected for main characters and 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 key characters. But what's I, what I thought was so fantastic is you have these smaller characters uh, who are not um massive in, in the story they could be the woman you stumble across when you come out of a nightclub or someone who lives across the street or whatever and yet it really feels like you know their backstories to the nth degree to the point where you could write their own story um how much time do you spend on thinking about these smaller characters to get all that nuance on the page i think that you I think the thing about the what we do, yeah, and and what we do is something incredibly fortunate. I think that we're allowed to play as writers. That's what's the that's what I love about fiction, right? The the imagination. Uh, the novel actually didn't. I didn't know I had a novel, Valerie, until that first moment where there is the young woman across the alley who's of a different generation, a different world from Perry, from Ivan, and. And, and I, I, you know, I'm going to be honest, my friend, that it was instinct that led me there. It was just this moment where, and and I and I think for me, that's the moment where I went, I've got a book. There's some, I'm not, you know, there's something about taking the reader just for a moment, just for a, a page and a half, it may be, away from the central story into another world, into another person that says something about how we all live together now, right? That, you know, we, 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 we could tell a million stories because we're millions of people in, in the city I, I am. And it's also about asking the reader then to take a step back and go, where does this central story sit in relationship to everything that's going on in the world? You know, um, to get... So kind of that was really exciting. There's a trick, and I hope trick is the right word. It's, it's a skill, actually, that I learned a long time ago from working in theatre and working with actors and then, you know, being on on film sets. Um, I, I didn't grow up with theatre uh, in my world. Um, it just wasn't part of my experience. And so I was very, very lucky that my first novel was turned into a film. And Andrew Bovell, who was one, one of the scriptwriters on that film, Head On, based on Loaded, um, introduced me to theatre. He asked me to come uh, and work with him um, in a collaboration called Who's Afraid of the Working Class? And, Valerie, I fell in love with actors. And I fell in love with what actors did in terms of developing character. And what I'm not an actor, but what I learned in that from that experience was when I wrote that young woman, I, I did the first sketches of sentences, and then I thought, I took a step back and I thought, how does she 
stand? How is she talking on the phone? What is she, what is her body doing? Because and and that's it's almost that's how I be how I create the character is from the ground up, thinking of those those sensual, sensual in the fullest sense of the word, um, it, moments and experiences. And then the, the character starts to take form for me. And I have to thank actors for teaching me that. Well, yeah. it, it, it must be, I mean, you must have great instincts because or, or that experience with actors must have been really, really significant because your dialogue in each of the characters, and there's many different types of characters, is that I haven't deconstructed it yet, Christoph, <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm going to. Um, but because the way that you write your dialogue is... Um, it's so clear. Everything about the character is so clear, even though there isn't necessarily a lot of description about the character on the page. There's a way that you write, I don't know, the cadence of the dialogue or something that you can hear how that character is talking and you can picture that character. So on that, on dialogue, is there anything, I know you say it's probably by instinct, but if you can try to think about how you think about putting dialogue on the page, what might you say? Look, I think the, um, uh, I think one of the important things that I've, uh, for me about getting dialogue right and getting communication right is uh, redrafting and redrafting and redrafting, right? So I think there's... Uh, Sometimes you just need to get those words out. You need to to get to the crux of what the the, the chapter or the scene is. But uh, I actually sit down and rework and 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 read out loud and try to 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 create the voice of 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 the character. And and this is something you only learn, as you know, Valerie, through kind of the the it does come from experience i think though there is there are innate gifts right you know the but that you have to trust your ear and you also have to trust that you're creating characters that are coming from yourself but they are not you so you have to be really fair to that character and not make them you and and i think for me the trick the the it is by listening to the dialogue and and thinking does that ring true to this year? You know, that there's an, that that trust. The other thing I would say, and that is the power of the novel uh, as a form, very different to cinema, very different to, to theatre, though actors can do this. You and I have a conversation, but there are things going on in your head. There are things that are going on in my head now. It's working out those moments of inserting that into the novel, into the chapter, into the story you're telling. Uh, because we do, there are, and it's not a, um, it doesn't come from uh, bad faith, but it's, there are things we, we keep to ourselves or that, uh, especially, you know, writing the first chapter, which is two people on a date for the first time, um, that would be to be dishonest to the characters. I've created, but it's also uh, a reader wouldn't believe that. It's not believable. And I think that is, for me, one of the exciting things about the writing of dialogue and the writing of conversation is, as a writer, being allowed to go, what is happening in the head? What? So I, I guess I'm saying when I go back and redraft, I'm also conscious of how much of what is being expressed is in the silences. Mm. I think that's. Mm. I think that's something... 
Now, I want to come back to the novel. I want to come back to the novel, but I'd love to just for you to cast your mind back (laughs) to um, uh, when you did your scrawlings in your 20s or perhaps before. uh, When did you know you wanted to be a writer? Mum has a great story that I'm 10 years old and we're waiting for a tram in Melbourne in uh, in North Carlton and that I looked up at her and said mama I want to be a writer I don't ha- I don't I don't have any memory of that and she said she just looked at me and her fir- first thought was oh my god he's going to die poor <laughs> <laughs> and um uh, uh look I loved reading from the get go Valerie it was I just think it's one of the great gifts of 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 my life is being able to disappear into into books and and I think for my parents, both of them are migrants from Greece. Uh, uh, their their backgrounds, uh, you know, I'm. Uh, it is something that I keep talking about because I think it's really important that they they just did not have the opportunities I did, right? Uh, of education, of um, of work. They were, uh, they they worked in factories. They they were, you know. Uh, I think there's a, a sense of loss that is part of migrant life, particularly of that generation, because there wasn't the technology we have. You know, my 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 mother couldn't be there for for the death of her father, for example. But, but just that there is a, a real loss in in that experience, as well as a real, you know, they're really grateful for being here. To, and the opportunities they you know that they have had, uh, and one of those opportunities is is having children who could read and could study and could go to university. And they, so, my father and my mother were were so happy about me uh, uh, reading. And I, it's a story I tell, and because it's really important, you know, Dad every Thursday, which was pay day back in those days, in his little yellow envelope, he would go down to the local bookshop newsagent and buy me a book. That was, you know, and because he couldn't read English, it, uh, I probably read stuff that I shouldn't have. <laughs> but he also, you know, he gave me my first Charles Dickens. You know, it was just lying on the trestle table there. So that is a, so there's an, so I think in my, my sense of what I do, there's a real sense of responsibility I feel to that heritage and to that history. But then in my adolescence, what I also discovered in writing was a possibility, uh, a sense that I, I I was really wracked by incredible shame at being a young gay boy in a world that was so different. You know, that's one of the reasons I've called the, the book The In-Between because Perry and Ivan are my generation. They they grew up at a time when shame defined how we were about sexuality, about how we live our lives. And, and I really wanted to be anything but gay. And, uh, and that was a very painful period and it was literature. It was actually... Uh, reading James Baldwin's Giovanni's Room, for example, um, reading my first Jean Genet, um, that I went, actually, there's a possibility of living my life that doesn't have to be dictated by shame and fear. And I think that is one of the great gifts of literature, right? That, and and so the book is dedicated to a friend, Chris Brophy, who I think 
mean, she understands that. She And she, when I first started, when I dared to say, I'm going to be a writer. So at 10, I tell mum I want to be a writer. I don't actually seriously start thinking about that until my early 20s, that that's a possibility. And she sent me a beautiful quote by a writer called Tobias Wolf, a US writer, and he wrote, I, I, I love his writing, uh, it's from a memoir in Pharaoh's Army, which is about his experiences as a soldier in, in, during the Vietnamese War. And he writes, it was, it's through writing that I learned to save my life. And, and I, I think that's actually true. It was like through reading and through writing, I found a path to, yeah, to a certain freedom and peace that I don't think was, would have been possible if I hadn't had those opportunities. So I weigh those. That's that's, and I think I hope that's in the in between. I hope that's in all my writing. There's a certain responsibility I feel about the freedoms I have, mm. because I know they didn't come easy. So then you um, burst onto the scene with, <laughs> with Loaded, uh, which becomes this incredible movie head on, and with incredible performances by by everyone in it, especially Alex Dimitriades, and then. It, it goes on to you, you then you have the slap and barracuda and so on. In each of those, though, because you now have experience as a screenwriter and in that industry, but in each of those, what was your level of involvement in adapting it to, in, in it going into the screen? Look, I, I, I think because for me, the, I love cinema. You know, I told you know if if Dad's gift was that Dad buying me those books, one thing that I am equally grateful for is um you know I would go with Mum once or twice a week to the cinema. She she you know kind of opened up the world of film for me, and I think cinematic language is how I is part of how I write. But Valerie, I'm also conscious that what I do, my craft what I work at is something called the novel and fiction. And that's very, very different. So when it came to the adaptation of, you know, whether it was Loaded or The Slap or Barracuda or Dead Europe, whatever it's been, I was, I said to the directors and the, the filmmakers and the actors, everyone, I'm going to be present. You can ask me any question you like. And so, for example, in both The Slap and Barracuda, I was in the writing room for a fortnight working with the writers, and that was my involvement. And then I said, it, it's a different medium, it's a different art form, you 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 go and do the work. The funniest thing was that, because um, uh, the slap was the first experience of that, was that, you know, some of the writers were like, no, no, this doesn't happen in the book, and I went, it doesn't matter. It's a different, you know, I think probably what I was able to do is give those writers a permission to not be slavishly faithful to the novel to actually recreate it for a different form and that's when I think cinema or tv comes alive when it it becomes its own thing and of course the slap became the slap that reverberated around the world and not only was there an Australian television production there was an American television production with you know Uma Thurman and um Brian Cox, you know, Brian Cox. oh my god <laughs> did you know when you were writing it this is going to be big Absolutely not. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I think that is one of the things that I do try and communicate to people that is you can't second guess these things, right? So 
the novel that I'd been working before that Dead Europe took me seven years. It's a really hard novel. It's a really difficult novel because it deals with historical legacies of racism and anti-Semitism. And, uh, and it, it, uh, I wanted to do it well. I, I wanted to be careful and I wanted to be honest in it. Uh, and also in between that, there was a book called The Jesus Man that didn't do very well, that I think. So uh, I'm not a, a book that I still have a, 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 a real affection for, a, a care for, because I, 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 no, I don't think it's completely successful, but I was trying to do something there. But the reason I'm, I'm referring to those works, and particularly Dead Europe, which got, you know, I, I think that Europe got a lot of critical praise and and was uh, and, and and is a very important book for for me as a writer because it it was a novel that I realised it doesn't matter what doesn't matter whether I'm a success or a failure in commercial terms. What I the only thing I can do, the only thing I want to do, is write. That that's what I'm going to do. And I had thought that that was going to be my space that I would be doing my fiction and that I would be working part time jobs to support myself and um you know the new novel is about love and one of the experiences of love i have is my partner who i've been with it'll be 39 years in march of 2024 right wayne wayne loves me and he knows this is what i want to do and so when i was working full time uh and starting to write loaded i came to him and said you know what i'd like to go down part time I'd really like to see if I can do this. If I have this dream of being a novelist, I don't know if it's going to happen. And he went, of course, we'll make that that happen. And that involves certain compromises that you have to do together, you know, and I'm so grateful that he he cared and loved, cares and loves me to go, we don't have to live in the, the perfect suburb. We don't have to live in the, you know, the perfect house. We will make a life together that encompass, you know, and that allows you to, to, to write. And I, I remember giving myself a five-year limit, like kind of see what happens. But loaded happened, Jesus Man happened. I'd started Dead Europe. I was working in a vet practice part time when I was writing the the, the final drafts of the slap, um, uh, because a wonderful friend is a vet, and he said, oh. You know, I can give you some part-time work. I thought I was going to stay there six months. I ended up staying there eight, nine years because I loved it so much. Because it, it's work that is really powerfully, powerfully uh, humbling and emotional because you're dealing with illness and death and people's love of animals, which is a is another form of love, right? But it's also it allowed me to write. You know, I kind of I could separate the work from the, the two parts of work. That's why there are two, you know, there are a lot of vet people in the slab. So to your question, and I know I've kind of gone around it, Valerie, to your question, after Dead Europe, which was such a difficult novel, took me into really dark spaces, the slap was a lightness. I just went, I'm going to write something playful. I felt, you know, I knew that there was, I wanted to write something about what I saw as a new middle class emerging in my country that no longer looked like the middle class that was on TV then. It was multicultural. It was, you know, it was people like us. Mm. <laughs> that, and, and that felt exciting. But really, after the heaviness of Dead Europe, the, the, the slap just was playful. 
And so when it became so successful, I was blindsided. (laughs) (laughs) Every book club, every article, countless commentary, you know, commentary um, opinion pieces on it. It was the the topics were on everyone's lips, right, in the media, everywhere. Um, So obviously it was extremely successful and I assume then you didn't have to work at the vets anymore. No, no. Yeah, I will forever be grateful for, for that book and and for um the people like matchbox who who created the tv series here in australia it gave us wayne and myself a uh and i do not take this lightly at all um valerie because of where i come from right it gave us a financial freedom that we never thought was going to be possible and so i didn't want to squander that that great gift um i think there's what what happened after the slap was a, a, a period of confusion. I don't know if you've had this with other writers where so there's so there's this wondrous thing called success. And it's lovely being you know, I, I, I traveled so much with that book. Um people are saying lovely things to you. And you begin to wonder if you're losing a sense of who you really are, if you're living now in a very different kind of work world. And then there is an expectation that you want of yourself and you wonder, does everyone want you to write the slap too? <laughs> Is this what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life? And and there are two paths you take there. One, oh, oh, I think there are myriad ones, but I, I do think every time previously I'd finished a book, I knew what I was starting next. So I finished Dead Europe, I, I'd started the slap. But with the slap, suddenly it felt like there was so much white noise around me. I didn't know what to write. And I, I remember thinking, do I just pursue what I've, you know, do I, do I write stories like the slap or do I do something so vastly different, so experimental, so unreadable <laughs> that it announces that I'm not, you know. And, and for a while I was really confused about that. And then I thought, I thought well, what I can write about is, success and failure and try and get an understanding of what is going on in my consciousness onto the page and then luckily a voice came to me and it was a young boy Danny Kelly who wants to be a great Olympic swimmer and I don't think it's an accident that Barracuda is a novel that is about success and failure mm. does that yeah, make and- and also an incredible novel, which also got turned into a fantastic television series. But while The Slap, as you say, gave you financial freedom and there was a success around it, there was a success when you were very young. I mean, from from the get-go because of the amount of attention um, that Loaded got and and head-on got. So I remember when I was in my 20s and you had just released Loaded and I went to a reading at the State Library of New South Wales. Sorry, the Mitchell Library, the the, the beautiful old um, building. And I remember going to it and watching you, but also watching the crowd because the only word to describe it was that it was electrifying. And I thought this is the gold standard of readings because I go to, I've been to many readings and you knew immediately that this was, I mean, because I'd already read the book, so I knew it was great, but I knew immediately that you were the whole package. When did you know that this was going to be the thing? 
because you know you must have known okay I've had one success but when was it was it immediately or was it after that that you thought this is this is the thing I think for me and I, 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 think, I think one of the dangers that happens in you know I've been talking about writing as a vocation you know as something that feels it comes how do you be a good writer you read and you read and you read so I had that from very early on um and when I say vocation, I mean that this is, you know, I've described writing as an apprenticeship that will never end for me. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to hone. Uh, but I didn't. So we've loaded. You write your first, you're writing your first book and you don't know if you've got it in you. And then it becomes a book and you know you've done it, but you don't know if you've got the abilities and the talent or the talent uh, or the patience to keep doing it. And I think for me, Valerie, to, to answer your question, it was actually with the completion of Dead Europe. You know, I just thought with that novel, okay, this is what I this is what I can do. This is what I want to do. I am a writer. And I'm actually grateful that I had that experience of look, we've all got imposter syndrome. There is not a writer I can I talk to who doesn't sit with the two, I call them the two, um, you can call them, let's just call them the two spirits on 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 our shoulder right and is the um the 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 one who goes you're really you're you're a genius you're wonderful you're and then there is the other one who goes you're an imposter you have no talent this is crap no one you know and and that they will never go they're going to sit sit there on my shoulder for the rest of my life but what i do know is that writing is also a craft it's something you dedicate yourself to. It is something that you learn the more you do. Um, and I guess to to your question there, so yes, it was with Dead Europe. With Dead Europe, I thought I can call myself a writer. And I'm, again, glad that I could do that. Before. Again, Dead Europe had critical success, but it wasn't like a bestseller the way the slap was. And I think there is something... Uh, I think there was something that was very, very balancing for me to have had that that uh, sense of being a writer before the great success. I think it would have, if, you know, The Slap had been the first book, I could see yourself getting really lost, wanting to chase, chase yeah. that kind of success for the rest of your life. So you'd mentioned uh, writing craft. So I'd love to come back to this novel, your experience with this novel to talk about writing craft. And um, there are scenes that are flashback or memory of the main characters which tell us a lot about you know um the, what has happened in their lives what do you do to know when to put in the flashback or memory and how much of it to put in and do you subsequently go oh that was too too much in the past or you know that sort of thing look one of the things i keep saying to um emerging writers or when uh, you know people and it's lovely will come up to you at a reading at a festival and um and go oh, there's a story I want to tell but I'm scared what my mother will think I'm scared what my friend will think and I just go those are the questions to ask yourself after the third draft I think right so on the first draft you just put down just write that's that's what you need to do and get out the story it is going to be a mess really so that first draft of the in-between there is 
there are extended flashbacks that go on too long that take you as a reader away from the story. So, um, but I wouldn't have got to creating the story of these characters if I hadn't allowed myself that experience of the first draft. Where, where, and the other thing I think is important to say is having, if you have, it's it's a wonderful thing that Wayne is a magnificent reader. I've got a friend, Angela Savage, who is a magnificent reader, and she's a writer as well. Um, my publisher, Jane Palfreyman, is also my editor, and she's been there from the get-go, right? She published Loaded um, all those years ago, um, and she's a great reader. The thing about these people in my life is that they are absolutely honest about the work, uh, but they're also unafraid to be critical, but because they love me, they're not cruel. I think, you know, sometimes you have criticism that is cruel, and, and I think that's a, that's a really, uh, that's not very useful, you know, but if you have criticism that is honest and does not come from cruelty, I think that is a, 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 a wonderful thing. So, you know, so with the in-between, Oh, I remember with Barracuda Wayne going the first draft. Oh my God, this is an absolute mess. And I went, so I should 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 I just give it, you know, put it in the bottom of the drawer and forget about it. He went, no, no. There's something about Danny I really like, but you just haven't found the structure. And then I went back and thought, okay, how am I going to work on this to make it a compelling story? So I, I just think, how do you, again? There has to be an element of innate of trust in yourself as a as a reader. And that's why, you know, I, I bang on about it when I take writing classes, read, 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 because how do you become a better reader? It is by reading as much as you can and as widely as you can and challenging yourself as a reader. And if you if you become a good reader, then you can read your own stuff and and find that critical distance to go. Yes. Yeah, I I don't there was a scene that I and 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 it's the kill your darlings. There was a scene that's not there in the book now that was about Ivan visiting the graves of his parents. I mean, I really like the writing. Getting rid of it was so hard. <laughs> I thought I really like the writing here, but I knew it wasn't right. You know, and you've got to, yeah, you've got to, you've got to trust that. So from that, I get that what you're saying is just write, and then in subsequent drafts. Uh, shape the, the the flashback and memories and the balance of the flashback and memories. But when you referred to the structure in Barracuda or what Wayne said about the structure, do you also just write or or and then put a structural framework uh, over it after you've got it all out or do you write with a structure in mind? Oh, look, one of the things that uh, was really important for me with the writing of Loaded and I didn't, you know, because I didn't do, I hadn't done writing, my, my, I did go to uni and I did history and philosophy and politics, you know, which I'm grateful for. I think they taught me other ways of reading and understanding. But what I just, so Loaded came out of a short story I'd written that wasn't really going anywhere, but I liked the voice of the character and the character turned was, was Ari, who is the, the main character in Loaded. And I'd started writing, you know, the, this this story thinking, is it a novel? But I wasn't, 
it just was going all over the place. Actually, it was going too much into flashback and, you know, because you don't know. It's your first novel. You, you think you have to explain everything. And it, at one point, I just sat down and I went, I'm going to make this novel take place over a day and a night. I'm going to give it a 24-hour frame. And then as I was working on the novel, I also thought I'm going to, I'm basically going to do four chapters, which are which are the compass, north, south, east, west. That structure worked. It meant that I knew where I was heading. It meant that I could play and go down maybe some wrong paths, but I knew that I, you know, I had a compass. Yeah, I had a I had a guide to coming back to telling the story. From that experience, structures. It's different with short stories. With short stories, I think you can be just start writing and see where it takes you. But with novels, I get lost if I don't have a structure. The structure, as with Barracuda, changes. So the, the initial structure of Barracuda was was um, uh, was not what happens in the novel, which chronologically goes forward one way and, and backwards another way, alternately. Uh, but if, if I don't have a, a rough notion of structure or a blueprint, at the beginning, I tend to get lost. So that becomes really important to me. With the in-between and that, uh, I didn't know that I was going to write the last chapter when I thought about the in-between. So I, I, should, I should say that the last chapter is written in the voice of a woman called Lena. It's not in Australia. It, she's a French woman living in Athens. That was that was a discovery in the work and it, and, and it came out of, those moments of going away from them, Ivan and Perry to other people. But what I did have as a structure within between, and which I kept through every draft, was I was every chapter was going to be a day and a night, right? And that chronologically the novel was going to go forward. So the first chapter is the, the first meeting. The second chapter is Ivan a year on from the relationship. The third chapter is uh, Perry taking Ivan to a dinner party of his uh, that his friends are having three years on from the... So I had that sense of where the structure was leading me as a novelist. And I, I, it was something exciting about that structure that I, that, that I didn't change with this novel, which is probably why I wrote, I wrote it relatively quickly, <laughs> because the structure was solid from, from, for me from the get-go. Uh, so what having that sense of structure allows me uh, as a writer Valerie is uh, the freedom then to play you know as as I'm working towards creating these characters creating these stories trying to make it work when you say you wrote it relatively quickly can you give us just an idea of like the time frame and and was it something that you worked on you know like full time like how many how many when you're writing how many hours a day or how many words per day do you kind of aim for I, I aim for, if I'm going to be absolutely honest, I'm going to say it's 1,000. No, it used to be 1,500, but, you know, I'm in the in-between age. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, I will be honest, it is 1,200. Um, I think that proved has proven so useful uh, for myself, like as a writer, to have that um, to have that limit. Of course, there are days where you go way over. There are days where you struggle to get to 1,199 just, and you know that you may delete or, you know, not use any of it. But I think in terms of keeping your writing brain going, 
it's it's important. I read a biography. I've been uh, ev I've been telling everyone over the last few weeks that whether I've been meeting them on the tour or when they when they asked me about writing, because it just it was just galvanizing. I thought, yes, this is this is what we do. It was a biography of Graham Greene, who wrote into his nineties, and from when he was a student at I think it was Cambridge in his twenties, he wrote. He has been He had been writing five hundred words a day. Wow, and that you know, I think that's that's how you keep yourself fit as a writer. I think is is, is to do that. So on that, then, when you finish, so you finish writing the in between. Do you continue writing straight away? Do you have a break uh, before you write your next novel? Do you have to think a long time before you come up with the idea of the next novel? I mean, I've started writing something even uh, so by the time. The in between, so when you're, you know, when I was working on, uh, it was just over two years, which, as I said, is relatively quick uh, uh, in my experience, but I was solidly working on it um, uh, over that time. But by the time we came to the line edits, I'd already started something else. I don't know where that will go. Uh, it's just, it, it's an idea that is tantalising at the moment. I've got about... 10,000 words on it, but it could be like the book I was talking to you about previously, the, the book about family. It may, it, may not, it may not be the novel. It may not be the next novel. But for me, it's really good to, to have something to, to keep working on. The other thing I'm, I'm very, uh, that is fortunate in my life is that I work with some amazing uh, theatre people. I work with some amazing film people. So I've got a friend and we've been working on a film script together. So I include that in my 1,200 words. I hope that's so loud. <laughs> <laughs> so with, as you say, this was, it starts off with their date night and then a year later and then this incredible dinner party scene, which is going to be talked about in all the book clubs because they're going to say, don't you reckon so-and-so talks like so-and-so? <laughs> <laughs> but you knew that as your structure, right? But did you know what was going to happen when you before you know before you started writing had you planned that in your head of what was actually going to happen or did you just know these were the timeline no, no it was it was simply the uh the, the knowing about the structure i think that i mean the structure had come but one of the reasons i i landed on that structure valerie is because of covid i'd been watching and because i love film and i'd, I'd realized it COVID was the first time in my life since I was about 10 that I hadn't been going to the cinema at least at least once a week. You know, and it's been, it's just been one of my greatest loves, right? And suddenly for, for a year and a half, there were no films, you know. But, but I did sit down. I've got, we've got an enormous DVD library and there's also, you know, streaming services. And I watched all, a lot of old favourites and then, really discovered I'd, I'd seen a few of his works previously there's a french filmmaker called eric romer who i'd seen a couple of films when i was younger he worked in the started in the 60s 70s 80s to to the 90s what i think i was too young or too immature when i first saw his films going back to them just a few years ago what i loved is that he allowed space for conversation he allowed space there are long scenes where we get to know characters in silence and in dialogue in 
and in relationship. And I think that was a real inspiration for me when it came to to working on the in-between. I thought, saving the dinner party scene, I'm going to give it space. You know, I'm not going to make it short, sharp scenes. I'm actually going to give it space to feel like we are there over and Yes. You feel like you were at the dinner party. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, oh, that's thank you. That's that's that comes, I think, from seriously thinking about how to how as a writer do I do that? You know, you know, I know how you do it in cinematic space. How do you do it in writing space? Oh, brilliant. Everyone, you've got to read this book. It's just fantastic. <laughs> All right. So um, I could talk to you forever, but I know that we have limited time. So I would like to finish with there are a lot of people listening who are aspiring writers who would love your kind of success. Um, what are your top three tips to those people to um, carve out a writing career? Uh, look, I, I am going to say what I read like keep reading and and one of the things that was great about my father because of his lack of English not knowing what he gave me was sometimes he would give me books that were way too adult for me <laughs> way too advanced for me but what because I love reading it also taught me sometimes you have to be patient as a reader sometimes you as a reader have to do some of the work you know there's, there's books I love. I love Agatha Christie and I read, you know, I, I, I love her as a stylist as well, but, you know, they're pure pleasure. They're like, like mm. ink. but there are some works that really require time and patience, you know. Virginia Woolf is an example of the latter. So read and read widely, widely because I think that what are the tools we have as writers? Imagination and words. And words, you, it's it's through reading that you're going to 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 learn how language works, just how you're going to understand the tools of, of your craft. Uh, second one, I would actually say, and this again came uh, came from the experience of Loaded, long long time before social media, long long time before the smartphone, but going okay, I'm going to go part time. I will, but those days that I spend writing are are working days, which means no, I'm not available for a coffee. I'm not, you know. Of course, I'm there as a friend in an emergency or as a family member. But I, when I'm sitting down and writing, and in those, I was a typewriter, <laughs> Valerie. That's how long ago it was. This is work, and I think actually for. To make that serious commitment to yourself, to go, I'm going to put this smartphone away. I'm going to put it on silent and I'm not going to look at it until I've got the words down. I think that's a skill that you need to learn these days. That That's really, really important um, um, because it's just too easy to get trapped by this and disappear down you think you're researching you're not <laughs> yes you're, you're, although you're... I have to say I said to my partner I wish smartphones had been invented when I saw that reading by Christos <laughs> <laughs> I would have recorded it honestly and the third one I'm going to say is and it's a bit old-fashioned but I I talked about Jane Paul Freeman how important she's been in terms of um supporting my work Fiona Inglis my agent who I've had since loaded. I think loyalty is really important and we don't have enough loyalty these days. 
someone may dangle more money in front of you. Someone may, but one of the, you know, there's things about being in this age, the in-between age, which is your body doesn't do things as well as it once used to. That's annoying. But one of the things that is good about this age is that you know what success is and you know what failure is and you know that that life is like this and that, you know, touch wood, you know, the loyalty of friends, family, the people who love you is really important and that includes in the work we do in the publishing world. And I, I think be loyal if you, you know, don't, 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 um, don't forget those people who have supported you and be thankful for them because they're going to be the people who are going to stick around when the uh, when the big dipper goes this way. I love that. Excellent. Literally no one has ever said that on this podcast before. So that's awesome. Okay. Well, um, everyone, you have to get a copy of Christos's latest novel, The In-Between. I really appreciate you spending the time talking to us today and thank you so much, Christos. Valerie, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for what you do. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed my chat with Christos. Now, as we're at the end of the episode, I'm going to leave you with this fun fact. Back formation, do you know what back formation is? Is It's when a new word is created by removing parts of another word. So usually you have a root word like swim and you add things to it, you know, to make new words like swimmer, you know, someone who swims, right? In a back formation, you do the opposite. So the word burglar already existed and the verb to burgle was a back formation that was created later. In modern English, we have to tase someone, which is actually back formation from the word taser. You can also use it for humorous effect by making up your own back formations like the author P.G. Wodehouse. This is from The Code of the Woosters. I could see that if not actually disgruntled, he was far from being gruntled. <laughs> okay, there you go, back formation. Thanks so much for joining me this week. Do connect with the rest of the listener community and also me on social media. Uh, just go to uh, Facebook and search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. Love to see you in there. Also, you can feel free to connect with me personally on Instagram. I'm at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, um, over on Instagram and also at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercenter.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writercentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.